No, we should call it Anna Green Gables podcast. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Starring, uh, this week we're talking about Starship Troopers. I'm sorry, Red, completely derailing this already. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the inaugural episode of Page and Screen. We are a book club for movie lovers, a movie club for book lovers. We read the book, we watch the movie, and we offer our unwarranted opinion. My name is Calvin, and I think Robert Heinlein is a Nazi. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm Doug, Winnipeg, and uh, I was happy to do this. I was always a fan of the, the, the movie, and I'm glad to re- I read the book. Uh, my name is Ashton, and I, I really do enjoy like i'm a big fan of the movie as well the book was an interesting it was interesting for how different it actually was hi i'm jesse mully and uh, i used to like the movie until i read the book now i wish you know the book was fully adapted into a movie and the movie starship troopers was called something else so so on this episode we're discussing starship troopers starship troopers the novel was written by robert a heinlein in 1959 and starship troopers the movie was directed by paul verhoeven in 1997 all right so i figured we would start with the book right here uh starship troopers what uh oh boy i don't even know uh yeah what did everyone think I think Jesse should start because he seems to have the most. Uh... <laughs> yeah, Jesse's fired up about this. Well, like, okay, uh, I watched the movie first, uh, like many other people, and never really gave the book any thought. Uh, and I loved the movie as a kid. It was cool. It had all the action and sci-fi stuff. But after, like, reading the book, I felt like, you know, because I've been told that the, the movie was satire, I think this in itself is the satire. Like, there's no possible way this civilization could work. And I would have loved to have seen like, like just literally everything from this book put onto the movie. Like the power armor is a big deal. Uh, the skinnies are also a very uh, big part of the book. So I feel like they really need to make um, a movie adaptation of this, uh, of the book and rather the movie can be called something else. I don't want to bash on the movie, but I feel like a lot of it was left out that would have made for an entertaining film, but. Yeah, I loved how um, rather the army had been gone from a like a huge, massive fighting unit down to these small squads of essentially living tanks, right? These one-man army kind of deals that operate as a like a pack. And I think that's way more interesting than just having like the movie where they just hordes and hordes of people that run on like the beaches of Normandy at the time, right? The warfare obviously would have changed. That type of warfare suits the bugs, really, right? They're mm-hmm. all about, you know, expending whatever uh, warrior cases they can to get the job done. Whereas when you read this, it seems like the mobile infantry, uh, they do their best to make sure that they care about every single individual. At least uh, the the lieutenant character in it is always busy trying to watch after his uh, troops and stuff. But, like, uh, like, the politics, I think were handled okay in the movie, but they weren't explained um, as well as they were in the book, right? Because, like, like, just reading, like, the whole way the Terran Federation works, it's, like, really silly. Just, it can't work it that way. I don't think, I don't think that's, uh, the movie was, like, trying to portray satire. This book is satire in on itself. So, I would have just liked to have seen this, literally, this would have, could have just been its own movie and done what did everyone else think doug did you have any thoughts uh i thought the book i thought the book was was a good book um uh, with the exception of the and, and i'm sure we'll talk about this at length but that there were a lot of sermon sermonizing of like ideas and uh and those were the parts of the book i didn't like i they added i guess they added another layer to the to the onion but overall, I found those parts of the book either got me angry or it just, it just, I just, I found it, I found I was having trouble like tuning into him. But, but mm-hmm. for the vast majority of it, like they, they would go in length about exactly how things worked, how the power armor looked. And I found myself just sitting there reading about 
the way he's describing the world and thinking. The thing is, is in 1959, when, when this was made, uh, people didn't have the same, we're, we're kind of spoiled by modern science fiction because mm-hmm. nowadays we can look at something that we've seen on television that's probably been uh, shown to us, right? Like, but the thing is, is in 1959, if you're a kid reading this book, you don't have a frame of reference for power armor. And so you have to imagine it, right? But it's nice because for me, as I was reading it, I just kept having this idea of like, like Halo slash uh, Edge of Tomorrow slash, you know, just, just all the power armors you've seen. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it makes it easier for me. Um, and, then, and then they go into uh, the boot camp. Uh, it, it's one of those things where as I was reading the book, because I'm a fan of the movie, I was expecting there to be more like war in it. Yeah, but, but really, sure. like, like I'm reading the book. I'm on like chapter ten. I'm like, where, where is the war here? <laughs> like, it, yeah. it opens with its war against the skinnies, and then it goes to like, you know, his coming of age story, going to boot camp, you know, have, having like high school issues, and then like chapter ten, he's still talking about, you know, just joining the, and then chapter eleven is like, oh yeah, okay, so I guess there's actually war in this, uh, in, in a book called Starship Troopers. But yeah. A- anyways. Um, overall, I really enjoyed it, and uh, I, I I look back and I kind of agree with Jesse in the sense that I actually enjoy the book more. But I'm a little I disagree with him a little bit. I actually enjoy the movie a little bit more as well. I think. Um, Ashton, what did you think? I'll leave my thoughts for last because I feel like they'll be the loudest. But <laughs> yeah, um, I, I'm very uh, like I was. <clears throat> how do I say this? I was lukewarm to the book overall. I didn't dislike the book, but I think that it's like, like Doug said, it spent a lot of time kind of meandering until about like chapter 11 and until it actually got, got going with something that like you would expect from a starship troopers book about war. And it felt less, it felt to me, the plot felt very thin and it felt like more of a soapbox for Heinlein to get on and talk about his political things he spent like half the book talking about his political ideology or this political ideology whether it's the one that he truly believes is his or not um so yeah there'd be like whole chapters on how children weren't spanked enough so that's why the downfall (laughs) society and all this stuff and you're like this is absurd but like right like um so i was pretty lukewarm to it at in that regard um but like once it did get going and like like near the end like these there's the war on the skinnies that i was i liked that and then like near the end with the war with the bugs i was it was good in that regard but i think that it was pretty thin on plot and a little bit more uh like more of a uh, a manifesto it felt like a man reading a manifesto <laughs> yeah um yeah uh so so my thoughts on it were um i have n- i had never watched the movie never read the book this was like my first um the first thing that i did was read the book um and it it's so strange because like i had a, i had a conversation with jesse before we decided to do this where we were talking about Starship Troopers and um, and I had, you know, seen like glimpses of the movie or whatever. Or I'd heard people talk about the movie and I was like, oh, like it sounds like it sounds like an analogy for the Vietnam War, you know, which was like, you know, all the rage for 80 science fiction movies with like aliens and stuff like that. So I was like, that sounds cool. Like that's something that I would totally be into. Um, and then we were also talking um because so, we were talking about reading the book and I was talking about another book uh, called The Forever War by Joe Haldeman, oh, right. um, which is a fantastic book. I read The Forever War years ago and I love that book because it's it's similar to Starship Troopers. It's military science fiction and it's about them fighting this like unknown threat that's like really far off into space. Um, the difference is Joe Haldeman was like vocally anti-war. Like he was a veteran, he came out of it with like PTSD. He came out of that and wrote this science fiction book that was about all of those themes. It was about the nature of how like war is extremely damaging to its veterans. It's extremely damaging to societies and whatnot. I love the Forever War, and so having that conversation at the same time as we were having it about about Starship Troopers, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm gonna go read Starship Troopers. 
thinking that this book would be somewhat like the forever war. (laughs) And then I start and like legitimately got like maybe three quarters of the way through it. And I was like, this doesn't seem to be like criticizing anything. This seems like he's fully on the side of this. And I kept, I kept waiting for the boot to drop. I kept waiting for Rico to like talk about the things that happened to us were horrible or blah, blah, blah. Never came up. He was so like, he was so on board with everything that started all of the horrible things that started to happen, like people dying in boot camp and stuff like that. And I was just like, this seems like, is he serious about this? Like, does he believe in these things? Before I finish, fully finished the novel, I think I started Googling it and I was like, oh, wow, he's, I'm not the first person to think this. A lot of people think this book is, is uh, propaganda. And I had never thought of a science fiction book like that because it seems like science fiction is so often, it so often is about like the ills of modern society and how that can lead you down a bad, like, which I guess is what he's doing. But like it's a, it is so incredibly dark and like and the future that he's talking about is so incredibly disturbing and offensive, like just straight up offensive reading it. And I'm like, this can't be real. So I read it twice. I read it. I read it again after I finished it. Now knowing what Robert Heinlein stands for. And like I'm reading it over and I'm like, oh, my God, of course, like this is it's obviously been called fascist because of the like nature of this militaristic society that he's talking about. The fact that only veterans vote is like advocating for corporal punishment and for capital punishment. He was vocal about anti-communist sentiment during during the Cold War. Like, I feel like he and Joseph McCarthy probably would have been best best pals. He probably thought Charlie Chaplin was a communist. The guy sounds unhinged, to say the least. <laughs> and like the second time around, I just caught certain things about like character development and plot development that I thought was so strange. Rico barely seems to be a character in the book. It felt like he had this message to get across and he didn't really care to develop any like real character or story to go with it. There is like there is a story and some of it's fantastic. Like, you know, like there's some solid science fiction concepts in there that are great. <laughs> but like for the most part, like Rico's just like kind of along for the ride as he's like being fed all of these lines from Robert A. Heinlein. And the and half the time I'm just like, I don't understand this character's motivation. The whole part in the book where he's gonna drop out of the the uh mobile infantry, and then he's and then like he receives a letter from his from his professor. Oh yeah. And then like and then after the letter, he's like, Wow, I guess I guess I don't want to drop out of the mobile infantry. I'm just <laughs> like, was, what? Yeah. Uh, that well, was and like oh, like sorry, you said sorry. too, I I one hundred percent agree. I think a lot of people would argue that his arc in the story is that he learns to be a good soldier and to always respect his authority. But I'm like, but he always did from the beginning. Like it was, I never really got an impression that he never did that, you know, yeah. like it's really strange. Just to go back on that, like, like when Dubois sent that letter, like, of course he was talking about how like a militaristic society like this uh, could work. And they were talking about all this, but, but when the Dubois letter was sent, that was the part of the book where I'm just like, wow, this is like, it, it, it pushed it further. And, and the problem, and I think the problem that a lot of people have with this book, and I, and I agree with is that. He said he he portrays all of these like th- this world and and talks about the the philosophy philosophy behind this world, but he never presses against that in like a negative way. If it was a true fascist society, you know, people he never talks about oh this society you know if you if you were wrong in the society you disappeared right like that's the, those are hallmarks of a fascist society right. But he never talks about that part of a fascist society. He only talks about. The uh, the trains are running on time situation, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, and Jesse wants to say something. What are you going to say? Yeah, so like completely agree with that. He goes on to say, why hasn't there been any riots or revolts in our society? Because there's nothing to revolt against. No. You know what I mean? Like he yeah. just plucked that out of the air. And I was like, I can definitely tell you that there would be people rioting if they had this type of society. If you like took, if they didn't have a right to decide their own future. He goes on to say, like, if he, this was actually like the, one of the sinister things about it, um, the line was something like, if you take the aggression out of them, you turn 
uh, you turn the aggressive ones into the sheep dogs. And the sheep stay in line. And the sheep stay in line. And I was like, yeah. ooh, that kind of like gave me chills. I was like, the reason why they don't ride is they take all these hyper-aggressive uh, points and funnel them into the authoritarian um, kind of mindset. There are roundabout ways that he does in, in press against it, but it's not obvious. Like, for instance, the fact that, so, so this is a worldwide global society, but everybody speaks English perfectly, right? And that's, yeah. and, and, and so that's one of those things where, like, even now with, well, my culture, like with Native Americans, with people all over the world, like when, when a, a greater power comes in, they sanitize the culture out of, uh, out of, like a, a lot of other cultures, right? The, this story, which was, by the way, a twist in my book, where you find out that Johnny is a Filipino the entire yeah, time at the yeah. at the end of the book, like in the last like <laughs> yeah. the, last the last two pages, the last page is like speaking and, oh. Tagalog. Yeah, and yeah. I just like I'm like it was literally as like a sixth sense shock to me because I was <laughs> I was imagining the entire book him being like Hispanic or something, right? And then sure, uh, yeah. Or like, you know, this taking place in South America. But see, the yeah. thing is about that is it's, it also shows that at this point in history, there's a loss of language and culture there because everybody has been sanitized. And I, I guess you can say that's a point against the world that he builds. But also some people could even say that, you know, if, if people don't have their culture anymore, there's no point in fighting against this, right? Like it's a... So in a way, it could be depending on your point of view. It could be a, 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 a criticism against the world or a point for the world. I was I was really really like one quote he had in there where he said, um, "The universe has to decide whether or not we're right." The character at least believes that their government is right, but the universe itself will uh, decide whether or not they have the right to exist. And like you know what I mean. I don't know if it's satire or not now that I'm talking with you guys. And it scares me if he was like, <laughs> like you're just pointing out things and I'm like going through it again. I'm like, yeah, there's like <laughs> this chunk right here where the, like the story, he's just like going with a story. And then here he's like inserting all this political dogma. And I'm like, Oh my God. So he got, yeah. Guess he, he got, yeah, no. Yeah. He was just like, yeah, you know, you just, uh, just <laughs> um, yeah, like there's um God, what was I I had marked something down. Um oh. Yeah, there's so one of the things that happens a lot is when characters die, he he mentions it like just in passing. Okay. Like he's like, Oh yeah. Like His head Flor Yeah, it's like Flores died on the way up and uh and Carl like, died. Oh, like, yeah, exactly. And like yeah. two of oh, our yeah. yeah, two of our company <laughs> yeah. like uh, you know got froze froze to death in the mountains or whatever and i'm just like okay cool so how do you feel about that <laughs> like like literally i was like can we just like take a second to emote i i can also see it uh because like when i read that in a book i try to also connect it back to the story uh society at that point in history has been like in a way life isn't seen is seen as a disposable commodity uh, yes, it does. He doesn't show emotion when death is involved, but it also could be a sign of the the way people are in that time. Like I, at first, I was just kind of reading it as something like that, as like, oh, like maybe this is just like a very stoic society. That's just like where we're kind of getting this from. But like at the same time, I'm just like, I know, like I, I like having like read about like all of the controversy surrounding this book and and why there's so and like who Robert Heinlein was, I'm like, I, do, I don't buy that. I don't necessarily think that's the case. I feel like he was just, yeah, he was just so into like spouting his nonsense that like he just forgot to like actually do any real character development. I don't know. Um, I also think that his whole thing about corporate punishment, I also think that that actually has something to do with, um, and I forgot to look this up, but there was a guy named Dr. Spock back in like the 50s and the 60s. And he was a guy who, who coined the idea that you should never punish a child or it'll like prevent them from becoming like a full human or something. So I think in a way, this book is also heavily related in, in the time frame that it is, right? Because it was, a, it was a, a big conversation starter back in the 50s and 60s about your children, right? I don't know. Well, like, mm -hmm. no, for sure. Because like, he also like full on calls them out. He's like, oh, like, 
they call themselves social workers and child psychologists. And I'm like, yeah, and- dude, like how how insane do you have to be to like have this vendetta against social workers and child psychologists where you're like fuck those people. I can't believe they're trying to like empathize with a child. <laughs> like what? <laughs> besides the uh besides the actual uh like doctrine and story, what, what do you guys think about like the description of technology and things like that? Yeah, I like that. I like I like the power suits. Um the skinnies, I would have liked to see more or, like heard more about what the skinnies were and what they were all about. We just kind of got thrown into this like battle with the skinnies. Also, like, very early into the novel, he just, like, burns up a civilian because he's, like, he's like, I don't have time to deal with this. So he just incinerates this civilian. <laughs> and I'm just like, whoa, holy shit. I'm like, every, way to introduce your main character. Every one of um, these suits have nuclear weapons with them because he just, like, looks at a hill and goes, oh, I'll nuke that. And that way the fallout will, like, like, the blast will blind most of them. And then the fallout will, like, like hurt the rest of them and like they're giving nuclear ordinance to individual soldiers which we kind of did see in the movie but like they just they're just way over like armed they just destroy everything but like you learn that it was actually a raid to like go hearse the skinnies into um not really siding with the the terran federation but just getting the message that hey we're going to do a lot worse to you than what the uh, pseudo arachnids will yeah, for that time, like the technology that he was describing, and the and even like even the like the design of the alien species, like the arachnids, um, it was super unique and like and super influential. Like, there's no denying that like this book has had like a very lasting effect on the genre. Like, you know, power armor, as you were saying, like has come up so often in like Halo. Um, or like Starcraft. Fallout and stuff like that, and yeah, StarCraft. So, so it's obviously like hugely influential. Even like the genre of military science fiction um, is like is an extremely popular genre, and I think it's mainly because of this book. I also like the uh, the th- the the fact that they talk about uh, uh, Cam Curry, like they talk about Southern Alberta, like uh, like that was another thing as, as I was reading it. Uh, they talk a lot about like the great northern plains and the Rocky Mountains and Camp Curry, and that's all. Like, like if if you're reading this pod or if you're listening to this podcast and you don't know, we're all based out of Calgary. So he's describing this area of the world, but at the same time, I don't think he's ever stepped to here because he's also describing it as that's like true. a wasteless tundra. That's like yeah. you know, people are like dying. The North like, Pole was like a mile away, <laughs> and I'm just thinking to myself, I'm like, there's no way he's describing Southern Alberta. But then again, I also thought about it. I'm like, well, this could also be post-nuclear war. So it may be that northern Canada is slightly colder than than we know today. But at the same time, that's also just trying to help him out. Because obviously he wrote this. He's like, oh, Camp Curry is in Canada. It's a northern plain. Uh, yeah. It's probably like, <laughs> it's probably devoid of human life. And uh... <laughs> Yeah, like the multiculturalism was so strange. Like you'd keep seeing like these like German characters and like a Japanese character. Okay, are they American? Like what is the Terran Federation? Does that encompass Earth and other planets or is it just Earth? That's why the, that's why the uh, Tagalog uh, twist of the end was, was so huge because, well, he describes an American, an American style school system, an American style world, but you don't ever think to yourself, oh, he must be talking about the Philippines, right? And then the main character, with the exception of his name, uh, up until the last like two pages, he could have been any Spanish speaker on the planet. He could have been wherever. Yeah. And so, like, like it, it, it's 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 almost a sad world that, like, like the way he presents it as as, as being the best world, but it's almost a sad world when you when I frame it that way for myself. It's just like the the Filipino culture is dead, and. and uh, it, it bothers me a little bit when I, when I was reading it, it bothered me a little bit that he didn't push against that a little bit more. Cause like at the very end, he talks about it in terms of like, Oh, like keeping up traditions and stuff like that. But it's like, where was this the rest of the book? Like this never comes up until like the very end. It doesn't make any sense. Like, especially when you think about like how science fiction looks now, you know, stuff like Blade Runner or sunshine and stuff like, like that. Mass or, Effect even. Or yeah, or Mass Effect and how 
how multicultural those genres are, it feels very strange reading a book like this because it's like, this is clearly written by an American. It clearly has like a, a, a distinctly American voice to it. Um, and then tossing in the like, the Filipino twist is such a like throwaway thing and feels yeah. so jarring because of it. Yeah. Um, anyone have any last thoughts to, to talk about in, regarding the book? Um. I do. Uh, and it's about the fact that they use hypnotism so casually. Like you're talking about the sleep, about how they like yeah. put them to sleep with hypnotic. Yeah, there's literally ones that can yeah. make them just kill themselves. If they, if they get caught by bugs, you mutter a phrase right. to themselves and they die. And I'm like, that seems like a, like another way that this kind of government controls them. But like, how, like, how do you know who's hypnotized and who isn't? Like, he just kind of throws it in there. And I'm like, and there's also, yeah, um, like telepaths in this as well. Like psychic, and I know there is in the movies, but you know it's almost like that Secret Service kind of. Uh, it this feel. it was oh sorry I cut you off, but uh, this was it was less pronounced the psychic. Like the only time I got the psychic psychic vibe was when he when they're on that planet and they had that uh, security agent show up and he was like listening to the ground, like yeah. he, didn't, he didn't have any equipment with him. He was just like he was just believing that uh, like yeah. I mean, was uh, and I was like, oh, and at first I was like, oh, he must be listening somehow. And then I thought about him like, oh yeah, he was doing like psychic projection to like figure out what was under the ground or whatever. And at the same time, like the hypnotizing thing, like back in the fifties, that's when that's that whole thing started, right? Where people really started to like imagine what you can do with hypnotism, and it became like a cold world, cold war hysteria sort of situation. And so I think that was also yeah, yeah. Oh, I did have one note here that I wanted to bring up that bring I thought was interesting. Yeah, no. So there's a part here where he's like, we needed to learn more about bug psychology. Must we wipe out every bug in the, in the galaxy or was it possible to trance them and impose a peace? We did not know. We understood them as little as we understand termites. And I'm just like, I'm sorry, why do you not understand termites? <laughs> like, like it's so weird that he's comparing this alien civilization to something that's on earth and I'm like i'm pretty sure people have studied termites like maybe i don't know maybe maybe all the big termite studies happened after the 50s but it's like dude like what do you mean you don't understand termites like it's so weird even? to compare something that's <laughs> like it's just so strange that he's like oh like <laughs> They're like termites. Like we don't know what those are. <laughs> like, yeah, I did look up a couple stuff on this, and people say that there's like you know basically his idea of like when people call them the pseudorachnids bugs, and when they call the uh, the other race skinnies, like they're almost like yeah. derogatory terms towards. Oh them. yeah, for sure. Okay, so uh, Starship Troopers, the movie. Um, directed by by my boy paul paul verhoeven in 1997 uh again never never saw this movie uh until literally yesterday yeah let's have some thoughts on the movie so i'll i'll clarify here i don't hate this movie but i think that it, if they would have st stuck a little bit closer to the book again i would have liked it now more than i've read the book but the things about the movie that i do love number one the um like the special effects still hold up today when I uh, rewatched it two days ago. Um, whoever designed the bugs, the arachnids, I love that design. They totally like that is something so alien, but like these giant praying mantis spider looking things, but they also have different types of bugs, which I really love. They have the hopper bug, the tank bug, uh, the artillery bug. So I loved how they're all kind of in these little classes and units. Um, and, like, apparently a lot of the props that they made for this movie got recycled into many more uh, movies for Hollywood, like the guns, the ships, uh, oh, the yeah. and stuff like that. I love the design of all the ships. I think they have, like, a very rugged, like, super American military look to them. They're all very blocky and chunky and kind of inefficient, but that's the whole point. Um, and, you know, like, I, like now, like, because I, I talked to you about, like, the casting and whatnot, and it was... I think Doug said he purposely made it very whitewashed um, for the casting and whatnot. I don't mind the casting, but I like to, you know, now that I've read the book, I'd like to see everybody who they were uh, portrayed to play better. And I'm not like not bashing Casper and Dian because whatever, like 
God, never. He played, played a good role in it, but um, wow. No, like it's an okay movie. It's just you know, now that I've read the book, I have I'm conflicted about it. So I I, I love the movie. I've always loved the movie. Um, it's probably like I first watched the movie when I was a little kid, probably too young to watch the movie. That's how little I was when I first saw this. And, uh, you know, I, I have appreciation for the movie because you can't adapt a book like this unless you just have like a four hour long movie that like 80% of it takes place in boot camp, which would be the worst movie in history. <laughs> um, but the, uh, I, I, I do like a lot of it. Um, I, I, like if I was to adapt, if if I was to adapt the book today, I would keep a lot of the same visuals that Paul Verhoeven had. Like for instance, um, who uh, what's the guy's name? The um, um, uh, De- Doogie Howser. What's his name again? Neil, Neil Patrick, Patrick Harris. Harris. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I completely forgot his name. I'm sorry, but I uh, know Neil Patrick Harris' character when you see him, he starts off with a like bright, uh, bright-eyed like uh, like intelligence officer, and then he starts becoming more SS every single time you see him. And, and I, I'm not even joking. Like that was no. Well, joke. I mean, obviously, like looking at the costuming when he shows up in the last scene, and like, like the bags under his like, eyes, I'm just yeah. like, oh man, that, that guy. But see, like, I really liked a lot of those visuals. I like the ships, um, and I, and I get they can't do the the power suit armor because you know the early '90s and they they didn't have the uh, the the budget to do it. Really, is what it boiled down to, but. Um, uh, what they did have, I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, I, I, I enjoyed it as a political satire, uh, a, sat- a satirization, is that a word, of the, uh, of, of the book that, that we read. And uh, I, I enjoyed those parts of the, uh, uh, of the movie. So, yeah. Cool. Um, I think I, I agree with Doug, actually, 100%. I actually, uh, I personally think I enjoyed, like like the movie a lot more than I like the book personally. Um, the book is, the movie's so much more self aware, and it like the whole movie's filmed to look like propaganda, like like it's a propaganda movie as a joke more than less than less than the way that the book is a just a propaganda piece. Like you said, the special effects are really like haven't really aged that much in the time like in the almost what twenty years twenty some years so like that's really cool um and yeah like it, it's a little campy but i still really enjoyed it overall um i would have found really interesting i was kind of researching into the the way the movie was being made and like paul verhoeven he read two chapters of the book said it sucked and like didn't even finish it he was like and he like just was like this is a horrible movie like a horrible book about fascism and then he he wanted to make a world war ii movie but the studio wouldn't let him. So he's like, fine, I'll make Starship Troopers and then basically make it a war movie. And then and it was just a whole commentary on fascism at the end of the day. So it was, it's like, I, I thought in like knowing all this and reading the book, I thought it was very clever the way he did it. And I, I actually liked the movie more after reading the book because I can see what he's doing more so with it. Yeah, no, totally. Um, uh, yeah, I I fucking loved the movie. It was so good. Like I've never I'm, I had never seen it until last night, and then I was like, "Holy crap, this is amazing!" Um, also, like I think like very recently I watched Total Recall and RoboCop, and I was like, "Man, Paul Verhoeven, solid director!" Like really, all <laughs> like, those movies are awesome. I know. Um, like watching those movies and like watching this one, it's like, like this is kind of his whole thing, right? Like he, he uses violence and, and, um, and like explicit sexual, like sexual content and stuff um, really well. And he uses it a lot of the times to satirize like society, like especially RoboCop. Right. So, um, so like like knowing that and then going into this movie, I was just like, oh my god, like this is fantastic! Like the opening propaganda like uh, recruitment piece is so good. Like when the when the kid comes out and says like, I'm doing my part too. I was like, <laughs> it's just so funny. But it's also like it's it's crazy to me that this movie came out and like and received such polarizing reviews. 
Um, and then there were a lot of people that thought that this was a fascist movie. Like there were so many people that thought that Paul Verhoeven was being serious about his like message. And it's just, it's, it, that's just blows my mind. Cause I'm like, dude, like, obviously this is a satire. Like look at how insane some of those, like the newsreel footages and stuff like that are. Um, and also like, um, Paul Verhoeven apparently did an interview about this and he said something like, um, like, oh, like I grew up in Nazi occupied Netherlands. Like, I, like, I, I don't think I'm exactly on the side of fascism here. Like he had like a pretty traumatic experience in Nazism. Like he's very clearly anti-Nazi. So it's just like, it's just so so ridiculous to me that people thought that like he was being too subtle with his, with his satire yeah <laughs> um reading through some of this uh some of the making of the movie apparently a lot of it was uh there's a lot of visual homages i guess you would call them to like triumph of the will and stuff like that like apparently the opening recruiting image is like almost a shot for shot take from triumph of the will um yeah, this movie is clearly a satire and like I really love that part of it. Like there's there's some just like solidly hilarious moments in it. Like ultimately like I love this so much more than the book and definitely I liked it more having read the book. And going back to like my criticisms of the book, a lot of that wasn't present in the movie. Like he does such a better job with his character development than the novel did the shower scene where I feel like it was just Paul Verhoeven's chance to like be like, Oh, I got all these attractive actors. Let's get them to all take their clothes off. Um, but it's Isn't like, a story with that Ashton. Yeah. That Actually, was the first <laughs> I try and see it when I was like six and it was in the theaters and my dad was like, all right, at that scene, that was the point where we walked out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it's such a, it's such a crazy like scene. Um, for that, for how explicit it is, but it's also so like so nonchalant that I kind of love it. But it's also like a real sense of camaraderie that you don't see in the novel. Like you don't see these characters like really get to know each other or emote to each other and stuff like that. You know, whereas in the book, whereas in the movie, they really do. Like you really get a sense of the fact like Dizzy cares for for Rico, um, or even the fact that like when when Carmen dumps him, um, Ace like is like um, sympathetic and like you know trying to like cheer him up and stuff like like all of those like little bits. Some of them are ridiculously corny, but like at least they're there, right? Like the book doesn't have that at all. You yeah, know? he's um, he's very gender um, uh, separatist in the book, right? The mobile infantry is like entirely all, male. all men. Yeah. Oh, and, like, that's the other thing, too, is, like, man, like, we didn't talk about this when we talked about the book, but, like, it would be great to have a female character, like, just one female character. Like, they're not present in the book at all. The way he talks to women is just so, like, so archaic to, like, think about. But, like, um, but like in the movie, when you see female characters, it's like, oh, wow, like, boy, that's refreshing. It's so refreshing to see these characters these like like actual characters have like real personalities and stuff like Carmen in the book is such a like throwaway character yeah and just like keeps showing up every once in a while and he just describes her as this like tiny tiny Carmen so small they're in my pocket such a such a sweet little girl and it's just like what like what is like who who is this person like like, she hasn't seen him in like five years she's like Carl dies (laughs) <laughs> like over a candlelit supper. Like, oh yeah. yeah. By the way, Carl's dead. Yeah, it's like oh, he died on Pluto. Well, anyways. Yeah, like, anyways. <laughs> you know your your childhood best friend. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyways, when they talk about Carmen in the actual book, the only physical descriptor that we get of her is that she's pretty and she has dimples. So when that's literally what Verhoeven was. He's like, uh, so what's the character? Oh, she's uh, she's a girl, pretty with dimples. <laughs> well, Denise Richards, I guess. Yeah. I thought. And this is something that, that we haven't touched on, but for me, sells the movie is the soundtrack. Like that, oh, like, yeah. the, like, yeah. like when they're in the midst of battle and like the do, 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 and you're just like, I'm just like yeah. it is, like, it is solid soundtrack. Yeah. 
And yeah, uh, the the same guy who composed RoboCop, which was also just like such an iconic soundtrack. But but yeah, uh, no, I love I loved the music in the movie. And uh, uh, well, Paul, uh, Clancy Brown, I thought he did an excellent job. A bit. Everybody did a good job. It's a good movie. I don't care. People talk yeah. crap all uh, crap over it, but I actually, I mean, every time I watch it, I'm just like, "This is a good movie." I'm glad I watched this. No, it's so it's solid. And even like, even some of the choices in adapting it that make it different from the book, like there's a lot of things that like he takes separately and he takes a lot of liberty on, like having um, having Ratchik be uh, the the professor and then later show up in the war um as a fighting uh, sar- uh sergeant um is, is yeah it's just is so more interesting you know like like in the book like fucking dubois is just a is just a mouthpiece like he's he's such a non-entity and like a character that you don't care about in any way so the fact that like rico seems to care about him so much makes no sense to me whereas in the movie having like Michael Ironside come back um, and like be a character in the war and then Rico having to kill him at the end of the book at the end of the movie is so much more effective. It's so much more like powerful. Rico, you know what to do. (laughs) For context, we, Jesse, myself and Ashton, we always make these stupid jokes about Star Trek Troopers where we quote the movie <laughs> but Calvin was never able to jump in because he never no. he never watched the movie. So as you're watching the movie, what was the, the like when you saw these? What was going through your mind? Um, I I was I was piecing all of the like the the jokes <laughs> together. Um, that's my job. You're talking about <laughs> the the thing about a lot of our humor is it's mostly just like throwaway dialogue. Like they're not even <laughs> iconic lines. They're just yeah, dumb yeah, yeah. lines <laughs> that for some reason stick in our head. Um, it's more like just like oh my god, that's so stupid. <laughs> you put these when you put it together. It is such a solid movie. Like all of the like special effects hold up. Not having the combat armor sucks. It would be cool if you got a full adaptation with the combat armor and stuff like that. Um, but for what they had and for, you know, whatever budget they were working with, like they did a solid job in terms of like visual effects, especially like, especially some of the gore, like some of the gore was still absolutely horrifying. Like there was a lot of like the gore. It was scary when I was six years old. Like, yeah, (laughs) like it still absolutely, absolutely holds up, you know? And, uh, and I think like, that's, I think like, that's a really key part to a lot of these movies is it's like, you know, you can, your visual effects can dip as much as possible, but when the parts that are supposed to be scary or jarring start to lose their effect, then then you can say that your visual effects have probably aged quite a bit. But like all of those parts really stick in this movie. Like they're still really disturbing, really tough to look at. Some if, you can, so. if you compare like Kitten's death in the novel or he blows up in his pod and doesn't make it down compared to the movie where he literally gets cut in half by a warrior bug. Yeah, he's screaming like literally bloody murder, and his torso gets flung at Rico, and then he compared it to like Rico in the book where he's just like, "Oh, Kitten died." Yeah, and like even like like Dizzy's death is so gory, um, because like because I saw her like because I obviously saw her death coming, and um, the the fact that. Uh, the fact that they have sex the night before <laughs> and then Michael Ironside gives them make it 20 minutes is, yeah. is such like, a great part. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the CC's on the, and it's like, a, yeah, make it, make it 15 minutes. You're like, yeah, <laughs> Michael Ironside. <laughs> um, but like, it's just, so like I saw Dizzy's death coming and I was like, oh, like this is, this is going to suck. Cause like the character's kind of cool. Um, I was not expecting it to be as violent as it was. The changes, the, the differences, like for instance, in the book, I was surprised when they talk about Dizzy, uh, but it's obviously a man that they're talking about. And it's like a one throwaway line, oh, Dizzy died in the drop. And you're just like, oh, wait a second. This person doesn't show up in this novel at all. Uh, she becomes yeah. a huge part of the movie, but she's barely in the book. She's like in like five throwaway lines in the entire book. And then, and then also like the bugs in the in the book, they describe them as having lasers, and then obviously we don't get the laser bugs. Which <laughs> like, where are these laser yeah, like bugs? The... Another thing I was gonna say uh, that they did a much better job of adapting is uh, Rico's um, 
in general, Rico's character development is solid. Um, but like his punishment in the movie, it makes so much more sense than it does in the book. I've read the book twice. I had to like reread that part over and over again because I'm like, wait, why is he being punished exactly? And it's because he um he took he took his helmet off or he took his uh snoopers off to like to see it in in with his plain eye rather than using his his hud he he visually saw instead of actually looking at his hud to say oh there there are people in this area there aren't people in this area right and i guess that would be where he would be considered insubordinate sure yeah well (laughs) basically (laughs) his charge was that he acted in such a way that in a real ex- in a real battle would have killed his own men. No, yeah, totally. And I understand that, right? It's just that, like, it's a little hard to pick up in the book. Yeah. In the I, movie, yeah. like, they make it very clear, like, oh, like, this dude's head fucking exploded because of you. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, and, uh, and it's, like, so much more effective. It, like, you, it really puts you into perspective where it's like, oh, yeah, makes sense that he's being publicly flogged for this and then it makes his uh his like decision to quit so much more impactful right like he's quitting because he's like pissed about it and whatnot um whereas in the book i think the punishment happens after he um tried to quit and then stayed um you know in the movie that becomes the catalyst of him being like i'm done i'm I'm leaving yeah um whatnot and then having buenos aires be attacked um and and him having to like reverse his decision or whatever it makes a lot more sense it just it it, like that's what i'm talking about like that you know again it's like it's kind of cliched it's kind of corny you know because he's like they killed my parents so i'm gonna fight the bugs now um like it is kind of cliched it is kind of corny but like it's the most bare bones character development that i feel the novel was lacking you know did anyone have have anything else to say about the movie? I took down a couple things that I thought were funny that I noticed during the movie. Um, one is when uh, I think it's after their first drop um, where they just get massacred um, and uh, Enrico is believed to be dead. Um, and, uh, and yeah, they bring all the wounded aboard the, the Roger Young. And Denise Richards is like walking through and then she like looks at the list of uh, of casualties and she's and she's like so many people killed almost no wounded. I'm like, what are you talking about? You're surrounded <laughs> by wounded like, by wounded <laughs> soldiers, literally just like pools and pools of wounded soldiers there. <laughs> I, I could not understand. Like, I think what she meant to say is so few missing in action or something yeah. but it was just like i think there's a lot of wounded people here <laughs> like what are you talking about just the dude who plays ace like just in general like the worst the worst haircut in the world <laughs> is that jake Busey? oh yeah, yeah. Jake Busey. oh my god i had no idea okay fresh out of the fragrance jesus christ just the worst Actually, haircut that, no, in the world frighteners was after such oh was it oh yeah, yeah. So he he was um, like, yeah. Sorry, continue. No, but just his like his live action Bart Simpson hairstyle, and <laughs> and the fact that like um, he plays a violin. The, yeah, that he's playing the space violin or whatever the hell you call it, <laughs> it is, um, and just like creepily watching uh, Johnny and uh, and uh, Dizzy like get it on. I was just like, oh, what the hell. <laughs> <laughs> The uh, yeah no that I, I love Jake Busey's character but I don't think like his his name's Ace but I don't think there's a direct adapt adapt he's not directly adapted from a character in the unless I miss something I don't there know. there is an Ace in the book he's but the guy who yeah he's the guy who Johnny fights in the in the in the washroom oh yeah yeah like yeah disagreeing or whatever yeah um Where not the like, same character yeah. He's like, hey, I want to. I'm a sergeant now, and I'm I'm better than you. And now we have to fight in this bathroom. And, just, and I'm like, what <laughs> yeah, the heck? Um, <laughs> I I still kind of find the part where Clancy Brown throws a knife into his hand funny. And he makes his point there, right? Where he's like, can't you just push a button and launch a nuke down a bug hole, sir? And he's just like, <laughs> and he just gets his hand all stuck there. 
Yeah, and what does he? Yeah, he can't push a button if if a knife is stuck in your hand. Yeah. Um. They, again, like that, that scene in the book. Yeah. Is like that scene in the book is like fifteen pages long. <laughs> like it goes on for so long. Yeah. See, and, talking and, about oh, like there, this is me? why you need to learn primitive weapons. And, and the thing and, is, um, is, I was waiting for that exact where he puts his hand against the wall, and so like for fifteen pages, I'm like. This better end with some guy getting hand getting stabbed, <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't. I'm like, I'm like, damn it! I'm not reading this tonight. <laughs> I'm joking. Yeah, no, terrible. exactly. Uh, again, again, um, I thought much better adaptation than the book. Like the book yeah. just drones on, and Clancy Brown got his point across really, really succinctly. <laughs> Maybe we oh. could uh, move on to our wrap up, which is. Uh, which is where we discuss our, our dream cast um, for a modern adaptation of Starship Troopers. Which, by the way, apparently there is a, apparently there is a new ad- adaptation of the book that's supposed like that's supposedly in development, um, and it's supposed to be like a more faithful adaptation of the novel. Which I'm just like, I don't know how they're going to do that. Like, I don't know. Like, is it just going to be a straight up? Nazi propaganda because that's that would be a faithful adaptation. Yeah. But um, uh, go ahead. Sorry, we were actually having a really good conversation, and then I just completely. <laughs> um, no, I think we were just talking about the fact that the novel is the novel is clearly not satire. Um, I know that Jesse might have thought that. Um, but that's like, scary. Like no and like i understand but like but like you were saying like i don't think i don't think people are reading this book and but in you know by any stretch of the imagination thinking that like huh he has some good points here um like like not like that's what i kind of worry about now is that somebody reads this and goes that's exactly what we need it's like i thought this book was like what happens if fascism like if, if you go down a fascist path, that's what I thought this was kind of like. But like learning, but. Yes. But that's, but that's what uh, the movie is, right? Like that's clearly what the movie is. Um, in the commentary, Paul Verhoeven said that like the message of the movie is that war will make fascists of us all. And like, that's very clearly, that's very clearly what happens in the movie. Right. And, and, and it, yeah, if you're if you read the book with that lens, maybe you know maybe you could uh, you could see it from that different perspective. Yeah, but certainly that was not how Robert Heinlein wanted want read wrote that book. Like he he wrote it with a very clear. Um, the movie has been um, in a, a a production mode for a while, apparently since 2011. Neil H. Moritz, producer of films like the Fast and Furious series and I Am Legend, announced plans for a remake of the film. So it's probably going to be great. <laughs> like I Am Legend, <laughs> Fast and Furious. This guys, this guy's done some great work. Vin Diesel um, letting it up as Rico. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Honestly, not a bad choice. Like <laughs> I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hate. <laughs> I'd Vin hate. Diesel. I'd be like, I'd be so pissed off watching it. I I was still watching because it's a separate <laughs> But I'd be sitting there just stewing, be like, can't believe Vin Diesel, Johnny Rico in this. Oh. <laughs> he's, he's like, hey, I'm in I'm in high school now, and he's like, he's like shut up, okay? I, I I hate this man. For me, I would um, I consider it a mini series. Why aren't they thinking about a mini series? You could, you could effectively make a better a better movie by adding an extra five hours to it, right? That, that, that would be my, if I was to produce it, if I had the money or whatever, I'd consider mm-hmm. that. Um, I, would, I would do a Band of Brothers-esque adaptation where, um, where, you, where it is a, an extended miniseries that follows this company around, um, but you also have interviews with, their, with the real people. Uh, <laughs> um, to, to supplement it yeah it opens with an interview of uh of an old guy you just hire as an actor <laughs> like, i remember bu- the second bug war <laughs> um i think someone who would be really good to direct um a book like this i would give it to someone like jordan peele um because like i feel like there's so much like just because I would love it, I would I, if if they adapt this again. I don't want a faithful adaptation. Like certainly not 
when it comes to like the like ideals that the book stands for and stuff like that i would want it to like have that kind of satire that paul verhoeven had um but i think like jordan peele does such a good job with that um in his movies um and i feel like it would be like i feel like it would be a lot more subtle than than the 97 movie was um but like so much like so effective like it would be it would i feel like he would do a really good job of making it this like you know this like biting social commentary but yeah uh let's talk about our dream casts uh for for starship troopers the movie if we were to make one none of the characters have any identify like it's very hard to like nail down any characteristics of these characters so I found it was very to um, cast. But me and Doug uh, l- last week discussed, we're trying to figure out like Filipino actors um, that like would be good for the role. But there's only the two that I like know any of their work. And Dave Batista and Ned from Spider, the guy kid who plays Ned from Spider-Man. And <laughs> neither of them are good on options for movie at all um actually i found out Haley steinfeld is part filipino which i found interesting so she might be an interesting choice for uh carmen sita yeah yeah or i mean she could play she could play rico too like they could yeah. <laughs> they could gender swap the role and like it could still it could still work yeah, yeah i agree um, i agree that, and see that i guess that's also a uh a, a biting criticism of, of modern hollywood where we can't even think of like like with the exception of of two people and maybe three, we can't think of any people who would who would be possibly like Filipino oh. enough to fill this role. For me, if I was adapting a book, it has the the ability to be the most diverse cast of any, because with the exception of a few, um, as I said, th- there is no distinguishing marks. They don't talk about race really. Uh, they talk languages, and the only way to differentiate. Uh, ethnicities is by looking at people's last names right and like with mm-hmm. the exception and so like you could have like zim could be black or he could be you know chinese or whatever all we know about him is his first language is in english like blackstone that's an english name but blackstone uh, english is so pronounced you can you could basically say he's south african he's canadian you can even say he's native american they have a native american actor or uh, uh not an actor a where they just like oh uh, also there's bear claw who and you're just like okay whatever also but, they like make reference to his scalp hunting ancestors which yeah. i'm just like oh god i actually <laughs> I, I did i did the exact same thing i'm just like oh okay well <laughs> thanks for the sh- thanks for the shout out highland uh, oh, Jesus. <laughs> but the uh, <laughs> but you know and the thing is is like uh I, I did enjoy that aspect of the book but i thought that he didn't mention anything about races and so you could theoretically have most people in the book like maybe mm-hmm. 60% of the people being non-white and then the rest and in and, and that would also be a commentary if you did that in a movie to modern military where where the american military where is mostly poor uh people who do it and poor people happen to be eth- uh, different ethnicities right so that could be a something you throw into a movie to suggest that by the way, you know, we rely on these people for our military um, because they, they happen to be poorer. So I don't know. Uh, that, that, I'm just throwing that out there. I don't know. No, totally. I, made that, I made this joke to what's his name? This guy, um, Ashton. And wh- what actor did I say that uh, who, who should John, play? All- you said John Cena should. Oh, yeah. I said John Cena. You said John Cena, Cena should, should just play everybody. <laughs> and I'd be like, so it's just like the nutty professor with John Cena. <laughs> Sorry, I can believe he, He's also it. playing the bugs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the only person I said that this person needs to play is uh, Jean Renault would be Dubois, like like the teacher at the beginning. I, I can see that as sure. like... Yeah. I feel like Jean Renault needs some love now, too. I haven't seen a Jean Renault movie in, in a really long time. I don't know what he's up to. <laughs> uh what about uh what about like all of the like random again like this is what sucks about the book is that these characters are so throwaway it's that's, like that's exactly it's it. Like, it was hard who to would keep... you it's like who would you cast for carmen it's like well i don't know a lot about her <laughs> like like i think for me if i was actually casting this i would actually just go for a lot of unknowns i would just yeah, be I like think so too. Yeah. 
I would also do the exact same thing that uh, Verhoeven did and just pick the most beautiful people possible. And, and there's a reason behind that, not beyond just like, because this is the idea of like post, uh, post-fascism uh, world, right? And in every post, mm. in every fascism, they always look to a more beautiful standard that exists from among the populace, right? That like having uh, uh, the actors that they did who are all handsome and beautiful he was also making a statement about the perfect race and stuff like that at least that's what i picked up and i would also keep that same idea and just find the most handsome people i could and 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 then have that being a a Mm -hmm. thing as well right i don't know maybe i'm the only one who picked that up but i I was just thinking about that uh, when i was thinking about casting but it's pretty handsome so that casting sticks so basically, mm. just not Gerard Depardieu is it? <laughs> anybody else? God, I'm that's just... such a such a cruel burn on Gerard Depardieu. <laughs> Look, he, he's a handsome man. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm being a dick. I'm so I'm sorry, Gerard. If you if you're <laughs> podcast, I love you. I thought you were good in Life of Pi. Like, <laughs> and that movie you did with Andy McDowell back in the 80s. I can't remember what that one was called. This, uh, is, our, this is our recurring segment where Doug apologizes to Gerard Depardieu. <laughs> uh, I'm actually no, glad fine. I did this podcast with you because now I'm kind of, I do have another appreciation for the movie again. I think the thing is, I was more interested in like the sci-fi elements of this book. Like, I wanted to see more of, like, the, the soldiers, right? I wanted to see more of, essentially, starship troopers. So, uh, and I guess the movie did kind of fill in, you know, the whole boring parts with good parts. So, yeah, I'm kind of glad I did this podcast because now I have a new appreciation for the movie. Sure. Uh, maybe we'll just go around and do our final thoughts um, and say which one we prefer, the book or movie. Um, okay. We'll start with Jesse. I will say this. I do kind of now like the movie more in like some aspects, but I still wish that I had read the book first and then watched the movie because I felt like some of the book was corrupted a bit because I was seeing these characters instead of uh, letting my own mind formulate, you know, what, what my imagination wanted to in this book rather than just borrowing from the movie. But now that I think of it, I do quite enjoy the movie a bit more than the book having this talk and pointing everything out. But yeah, like I, again, I thought this was satire, but now that you guys have been pointing out, like, you know, Robert A. Highland was an asshole and stuff like that, that it kind of like scares me a bit that somebody might look at this and genuinely like it. Uh, I've, I'm glad I read the book, but I, I've always enjoyed the movie and I enjoy it more, I think. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same thing for me. It's um, I'm glad I read it, but at the end of the day, it made me enjoy the movie more because I can definitely see way more of the satire within the movie because I've read the book. I always saw it as satire, but now because I read the book, I'm like, yeah, this is blatantly ripping like ripping into this hard. So I, I think I enjoy the movie quite a bit more than the book. Yeah, um, I, I, yeah, I think I agree with. Uh with all the other opinions yeah the the book is um just so hard it was so hard to get through um and and the movie was like this this really like nice palate cleanser i feel like because i feel like i was so much in paul verhoeven's corner (laughs) as he was as he was just ripping this book to shreds um yeah i i definitely prefer the movie to the book um I'm glad that uh, we started on Starship Troopers because um, it's a, it's one that I hadn't watched the movie or read the book, and uh, I feel like that's so difficult now. So this was this was interesting. I feel like I went into it completely cold. Well, I think that pretty much wraps up Starship Troopers um, by Robert Heinlein, and I believe our next book uh, that we've debated on um, will be. Anne of Green Gables. Um, Which Doug referenced at the beginning of the podcast, being the Anne of Green Gables podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, still up for debate. We might we might still call it the Anne of Green Gables podcast. Uh, I would just love for someone to open up a, uh, Anne of Green Gables podcast and we just, it was just an hour and a half of talking about Star Trek Troopers. <laughs> yeah, Anne of Green Gables is a great choice. I have, 
um uh like i was saying to you guys i've never read or watched it again so i'm going into it completely cold um this will be the first time i experience it um my partner and her sister talk about it a lot and i feel like i'm missing out so i'm glad to get caught up so it's a series right but from what i understand we're only going to read the first one we're just reading out of green gables I think, uh, so. I think I'm going to eventually try to read all of the books, but yeah, we can just start with the first one. And what adaptation are we going to watch? Because now there are a lot of adaptations of Anne of Green Gables. The The newest one was released on Netflix and that's Anne with an, with an E. The one that apparently is like, is considered the, um, is considered the definitive version is from 1985 and it's a BC miniseries. Oh yeah, yeah. All of the Starship Troopers fans that came <laughs> that came to this podcast to listen to us talk about Starship Troopers are gonna are gonna wait for the teaser and be like, "Dude, next episode's Anne of Green Gables." I'm there. <laughs> I'm pretty like, sure they they all clicked off after I started talking crap about Gerard and Depardieu. You're right. You're <laughs> right. Starship like the, Starship the Venn Troopers. diagram of Starship Troopers and <laughs> Gerard and Depardieu fans is pretty like. It's just basically yeah. one circle. Like, <laughs> it's true. Um, <laughs> Sorry, guys. Sorry. At this point, I think I'm just tired. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> trolling at this point. Sorry. Go ahead, man. Okay. Thank you for tuning in to the inaugural episode of Page and Screen, folks. I want to give a special thanks to me and my friend for creating all the music you hear on the show. Check out more of their music by visiting meandmyfriend.bandcamp.com. If you like the show, go ahead and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you really like us, leave us a review and a rating. Feel free to connect with us on social media. We are at Page and Screen One on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can also search Page and Screen on YouTube, where you can watch a video version of this show. We post regular updates of all the books we read and all the movies we watch, and we'd love to hear your thoughts on them. We're not the only ones who can offer our unwarranted opinions, so chime in and join the conversation. And finally, make sure you spread the word about the show. If you know a book nerd or a film geek in your life, pass it on. We'd love to reach new people. Maybe you know someone who thinks Starship Troopers the novel is actually better than the movie. Well, they're wrong, and you can offer them this show as empirical evidence. Until the next page and screen, thank you for listening.